Actually, if we, uh, we're going to start off our, our morning here with something uh, just kind of fun to help us uh, figure out what we're doing. If you guys would welcome Emily Paskett up here and Bob Silverthorne and Brian Hemard. Welcome these uh, three uh, wonderful K-Tours up here this morning. We're going to have a little bit of fun uh, to start off our day. Here you go. All right, so I've got, um, I've got one question uh, that, I, that I want to ask you guys. And uh, so go ahead, Emily. Uh, uh, how old are you? I'm 13. 13. What grade this fall? Eighth grade. Eighth grade. Mm-hmm. Okay, we might be in trouble, guys. So uh, here we go. So uh, Emily, here's the question for today is to explain to everybody as much as you understand how the eye works. Okay? So the fact that we can all see, how is it that our eye actually helps us to see? So go ahead and try to explain that to everybody. Hold it up nice and close. There you go. Well, I think that the eye, hmm, <laughs> it's kind of a hard subject, you know? It is. It's, um, it's a very hard subject, actually. I would say that the eye works to help you see things that, um, yeah, that God created and to help you see those things. Okay. Do you know how it works at all? Do you know how what happens? Um, well, something... In like health class, yeah, they it like goes in your goes in your eye and then it like turns upside down or something like that. Okay, so cool. <laughs> I don't know. Awesome. Really. <laughs> That's good. That's good that you know that. That's awesome. All right, thanks. Okay, Bob, get over here. Um, so uh, Bob, what, what, tell everybody what you do uh, for employment. Yeah. I'm a or fire- fun. Let's I'm just go there. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, go well, ahead. I chill with my LTG, which is pretty much where it's at right now in my life. And awesome. I'm a fire captain for Salt Lake. Yeah, fireman. Awesome. Very cool. Very cool. So why don't you go ahead and give everybody a shot. Tell everybody here your, the way that you understand, your best understanding of the knowledge of how the eye works. Well, I should actually reference a friend of mine to yeah, my right, but I'm not going to. I wonder why gonna, he's saying Yeah, exactly. Anyways, um, I believe light comes in. It bounces off the back of your eyeball. And uh, that image gets transferred into something else. And you have aqueous humor inside your, that's the water in your eye. And there's like a cornea. That's uh, that's, that's fantastic. Anyways. And I hear they're a delicacy in some countries. Oh, all right. There we go. Fantastic. Awesome. (laughs) All right, Brian, get over here. Uh, Guys, this is Brian Hemard. And uh, Brian, why don't you tell everybody about what uh, your occupation has been. And I'm an ophthalmologist. (laughs) Uh, I hope okay, I hold it up nice and close. I hope I know how the eye works. Um, okay, basically, the, the first thing is what you're looking at is reflected light in an infinite number of pencils or rays that are coming off of the object. So you really don't see the person or the object you're looking at. You're looking at lights that's reflected from it. Because if you in, at night when there's no light, you don't see anything. Okay, so that's the first thing to understand. So what happens is the pencils of light come into your, into your eye. They strike the front surface of the eye called a cornea. And the light is bent by about what is called 44 diopters or units of bending power. And then it goes through the aqueous humor that he was talking about. Now yeah, good there. job, Bob. Uh, and then strikes the, the front cr- surface of the crystalline lens, which bends in another 20 diopters or so. When then it bends and goes through the vitreous humor, which is the posterior chamber, and it goes into and hits the macula, which is the little part of your eye that is responsible for reading vision. And then it goes into the uh, visual pathway leading from the optic nerve back to the optic chiasm. And you end up seeing in the back part of your brain called the occipital region. 
And that's kind of it. So. All right. Fantastic. All right. Thank you very much, you guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, Emily. Awesome. All right. You guys, I, what's, what is so cool in, in, in studying anything, and uh, I've shared here, uh, you know, uh, very humbly, you know, my dad was a phys ed teacher, and we grew up out in the country, out in Lapeer, Michigan, and I remember when I was a, a freshman in college, <clears throat> uh, half the people on my floor uh, were engineers, and I remember sitting there thinking, I can't believe that this many guys are studying how to drive a train. I had, <laughs> I, that is, I am not kidding. I was 18 years old and had never heard of an engineer. I had no idea what that even was. So, um, what, <laughs> now you guys are going, we definitely need help here. Um, but here, here's the thing. N- knowledge, knowing anything, everything, everything has to start somewhere. But what's amazing about knowledge is how much of it you can actually gain and what you can really learn and what you can actually know. And one of the wild things about uh, knowing God, of actually having knowledge of God, is when he first comes in, I love the scriptures, it says you are born again. You know, and what do you expect a brand new baby to get? I mean, not th- they, they feed, they, you protect them, right? You just watch over them. But then you grow up and you start to gain more knowledge. And what we want to look at today is this don't stop believing. You, maybe you could be the next to believe. And the reality is, and we also say this all the time here, if your brain, if you think that your brain can comprehend God, in other words, if if you're trying to figure out God yourself and your brain, then how small is your God? And one of the things we're going to realize today is our God is so far beyond us. And so we're going to be on this never-ending journey of growing in our faith. And so, so that's where we're going today. And I, I, I'm really excited about where we're, what we're going to experience. And I'm also really excited because uh, we have a guest speaker with us uh, this morning. And so I'd like to introduce uh, Lad Chapman. If you give Lad a uh, uh, welcome this morning. Hey, thank you. Awesome. And uh, Crystal, would you go ahead and stand up real quick, too? This is his wife, Crystal. Just want to make sure you all get a chance to meet her. And... Um, Lad and I met each other three months ago, maybe, was it? Yeah. About three months ago, uh, we were doing a church planters meeting uh, where we try to get church planters around the valley together about, uh, actually, every six months. And um, and Lad showed up at that meeting, and uh, that's where I initially met him. Mm-hmm. But they, uh, he and Crystal have been quite a, quite a journey. We actually talked in the bathroom, I think. We, that's right. We met in the bathroom. <laughs> it's my new office. For about one minute. So, yeah, Exactly. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, why don't you just share with everybody real quick. Uh, and just so, again, so uh, you share your journey, how you ended up here in Utah. Cool. Good morning, everybody. How are you? Good. We're really happy to be here with you this morning. And my name's Lad, and uh, we, six months ago, lived in Africa. We've been living in Africa in a little country down in the south called Swaziland for the last six years. I grew up in Ohio, and Crystal grew up in Florida. And we met each other in Chicago, and, uh, and then we moved to the West Coast. We spent seven years in Oregon, and God called us to go to Africa, and we, uh, we've been living there. And God put it on our heart to come back to the States and to church plant. And we knew that Africa wasn't going to be forever, but we just didn't know where to go. We've been living away from family for so long that we said, God, we can go anywhere. we got 20 boxes, and that's it. So we can go anywhere, God. And so we're pretty much homeless at the moment and uh, just asking God for a zip code, to be honest, saying, God, where do you want us to be? And I met a guy in Florida 
I know that we've been in a few places in this story already, but I met a guy in Florida in April, and you know him. His name's Charles Hill. And he said, have you ever thought about Utah? And I said, no, <laughs> never thought about Utah. <laughs> and, uh, I know that answer. <laughs> and I tell you, Crystal and I were together, and for the first time in about a year of asking God for a zip code, for the first time, we felt like the Holy Spirit just gave us that exclamation point of this could be what you're waiting for. And, and really, that's only been about three months ago. That was in late April or early May. I can't remember exactly when that was. And I booked tickets that afternoon to Utah and just said, okay, God, we'll, I'll go to Utah and see if the doors are open to serve you there. And uh, called Charles a couple weeks later, and, and he said, hey, the exact day that you booked to be here, uh, like six hours after you get off the plane, is when we're meeting uh, at this thing at K2. So that's when Dave and I met. And I just want to tell you, we're really excited about what God is doing here in Utah. Just from everybody I talked to all the way through this valley and up into Ogden, it just seems like God is doing so many good things in people's lives and, and that there's good, fresh stuff going on here. And so we're excited. We're actually, we're moving. We're really not even sure of exactly where we're going to be and how it's all going to work out. But we're moving here actually next week. So we're, uh, we have four boys. Sorry, I didn't even tell you that. It's kind of, you'll see in about 10 days, there'll be this whirlwind that comes down through. And that'll be our family and our four boys arriving in, uh, in Utah. So you know how to pray for Crystal. We have four boys under the age of 10. And uh, so we're kind, of a, we're kind of a monkey show. Exactly. We are, we're kind of a monkey show wherever we go. What a compassionate crowd you are. That's awesome. Well, that's cool, you guys. It, it really is neat. And so, so Lad's here today because we've been chatting about the possibility of him uh, being the campus pastor here uh, at the, for the South Campus. Lad's also been talking with another church that's north of here, um, Alpine Church, and, yeah. and having some good conversations with them. And that's what's really cool. Is, uh, to me, one of the neat things is no matter what God leads Lad and Crystal to do, that they all... But, they know they're coming to Utah. They, they feel the call to come here where they join Alpine or they join us or whether they do their own thing or whatever. So, so we, just, I, we would love your, your prayers uh, for this weekend mm, as we're just you. walking through um, with God to discern. Uh, he's at least got them that far. Yeah. You know, he's at least got them to the state. So now you really need the zip code, actually, yeah, you know, exactly. to find out exactly That's where true. to land. But we're excited to have him here with us uh, today and to give the message uh, for us. And so let's pray together, and then we'll jump in. I appreciate it. Father, again, uh, even as Latin I prayed earlier, I just want to pray again. I, I just thank you for being Jesus, for being a good shepherd. Um, for shepherds lead us, and shepherds provide and protect. And we just thank you, Jesus, that you're the good one, mm-hmm. and that, you, uh, that we can trust you to do that. We also thank you for the revelation that you're the head of the church. You're, you're the one who comes up with every idea. You're, again, you're the one who brings the impulse of what to do and where to go and mm. what to be involved in. And so we thank you that we can look to you as the head of the church. And, um, and in light of that, God, we just pray for Latin Crystal, pray for us. We, just, we are asking for nothing <clears throat> more than your spirit being able to lead and unify. Because we know that you love Utah. Mm-hmm. We know that you love this valley. We know you love this church. We know you love this campus. We know you love Latin Crystal and their boys. Mm. And uh, so we just, we just know, God, that if we will just lay our lives down, that you have your way. And that's all we're asking. Mm-hmm. Your, your kingdom come, your will be done. So uh, may that happen this weekend. And now specifically mm-hmm. for this message, God, um, all of us in here, 
every one of us, has more to know about you, mm. more to understand. And I thank you that you're committed to us believing. Um, because when we do, we experience you, and knowing you is eternal life. So I just want to pray that you would meet each one of us right where we're at. Open the eyes of our heart. God, take us, reveal things to us. Anoint Vlad's gift just to, to give us your word today. And we look forward to hearing from you and walking out of here different than the way we came in. In Jesus' name, yes. amen. Amen. Right, amen. Thank you, Dave. Well, good morning, guys, once again. You guys ready to get to work a little bit in John 15? I love this, uh, I love this passage, and I'm not sure what I did here. I like this passage a lot. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks, thanks a lot for the privilege of uh, telling me what to preach on. And uh, no, it really is fun, you know, because when you, when you go to the Word, uh, it is so fun to find out what God already has in store for us for the morning. Uh, the way I love to approach just asking God to help us is, you know that word that theologians use called illuminate, to turn the lights on? Uh, God's Holy Spirit is the one who turns the lights on for us. So I just ask God to turn the lights on of his word in our minds and our hearts this morning as we open the word. All right, but we're going to get to work. Let's jump right into John 15, and then uh, we'll come back to you. Or, excuse me, John 11. We're, we're with Lazarus, and we've been talking for a few weeks about You Could Be Next. And was there one called You Could Be Next to Be Hosed? Wow, You Could Be Next to Be Hosed. I've got to download that one. I, haven't, I saw the title, but I, I haven't listened to it yet. I'm looking forward to that one. This one's You Could Be Next to Believe. And, and I love, how many of you would have been in the spot where, um, what, was the young, what was the 13-year-old girl's name again? What was her name? Emily. How many of you would have known about as much as Emily over here? The only thing that I would have been able to say beyond what Emily said is, I know there's something about a rod and an axle. Isn't that about the eye? Are there rods and axles in... Are there rods? Not axles. Cones. Well, see. Cones, safety cones, axles, that kind of... I got rods though, right? There are rods. Rods and cones. So that's where I would have been. And uh, I definitely wouldn't have been over here with what the fluid is called. And I definitely wouldn't have known about the optical chiasm in the back of the eye. Wouldn't have known about that at all. There's, there's this notion that we have that once that we believe in Christ, that we're in. Now we're done believing. There's this notion that we have that, man, once I'm in, now I know who I am. I'm born again. And the believing happened in the past. And, and now I just kind of walk in it. I live in it. And I work in it. Do you know what I'm saying? There's a notion that the believing happens at some point. And, and we, we continue to believe in what we believed in Christ here. But, but there isn't necessarily fresh believing for me today. And I love this story in John 11. John just paints this amazing picture of Jesus really creating this opportunity for his disciples, for Mary, Martha, Lazarus, to believe in him even more and to even go deeper and to even understand more and to walk with him more. Um, I don't know if you know this, but John, his whole gospel is written just so that we could believe. In John 20, it says that I wrote this book. This is what John says. He says, I wrote this book in John 20, 31, so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So this whole thing is so that you might believe in him and walk in him. 
And, and John, right from the start, helps us to know who Jesus is. Do you remember at the start of John, how John starts out? He gives a name for Jesus. Jesus is the, do you know what it is? The Word. He's the revelation of God. He's who God is. But what did they expect? What did they expect from, from John? Or what did they expect from Jesus? Excuse me. They expected a guy to come in and to conquer. They expected somebody to free him up from difficulty. They expected a king. But instead, they got Jesus. They got a, a guy who was from the wrong part of town. They got a guy who grew up in a blue-collar family. They got a guy who, he didn't fit the part. He didn't go to schools. He had calloused hands because he worked hard his whole life as a carpenter. He was always shadowed, always shadowed by the religious people as an illegitimate son. They never believed that, that, the whole, you know, that God, the Holy Spirit, put that seed inside Mary. And always, always there's this shadow over Jesus because he's not what they expected. Maybe he's not what you expect. Maybe he's not what I expect. Jesus is the word, the revelation of who God is. And John continues that in John 11. There's always more to know. There's always more to believe. And just like the eye, there's always more for you and I to walk in, to knowing about Jesus, to believing in him. In John, as he begins to tell us about, about Jesus, the word, it's amazing how Jesus starts his ministry. Everybody agrees that he kind of starts his ministry around the age of 30. And the first time he goes to Jerusalem, back in the start of John, do you remember what he does? He flips over all the tables in the temple. Man, it'd be like coming here this morning, visiting for the first time, and tearing it up. And, and Jesus, he goes into the temple in Jerusalem, and he flips over all the tables, and he accuses them of the evil in their hearts because there's evil in their hearts and wickedness. And he tears the place up. And the second time he comes back, and do you know what he does? He breaks the Sabbath intentionally. And then he sets off an argument with the, disciple, or with the Pharisees about the Sabbath. Because, and this is, it really is a silly thing. But the Jews, like all religious people, they were working for their righteousness. You understand? They were, they were proving that they were good by what they did. They were working on their day off. They were working so hard at resting to make them holy that it, it's kind of silly. They were, they were saying, this is our day off. We're going to work so hard at being off that it's going, to, it's going to be good for us. And they're working on their day off. And Jesus, he pinpoints it. He nails it right on the head. And so all of Jesus' interactions in Jerusalem become this, and he just jumps right into it. And he's not, at all, he's not at all what the Jews were expecting of the Messiah. And John, John brings us through to this point where Jesus has been kicked out of Jerusalem one more time, out of another festival. They've, they've, they've heard him real clearly. He's now at the point where everybody understands that he's saying, I'm the Messiah. I and the Father, we're one. I'm God's son. I'm equal with God. And they've tried to kill him a number of times, and he has he's slipped out of their midst. And he's actually, at this point, he's on the other side of the Jordan in the wilderness where John the Baptist was. And, and so he's been camping almost for a couple of months. He was actually at Hanukkah 
the celebration, which is in December, in Jerusalem, and they tried to kill him. And so he went out on the other side of the Jordan for a couple of months. And he's been camping. And it's out there that he hears that his buddy Lazarus is dying, that he's really sick and dying. And that's where we pick it up in John 11. So if you want, listen along. Or if you want, you can read along. And it starts like this. A man named Lazarus was really sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who poured out the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, the one you love is very sick. When Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness won't end in death. No, it's for the glory of God. And I, the Son of God, will receive glory from this. Although Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days, and he did not go to them. Finally, after two days, he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. But his disciples objected. Teacher, they said, only a few days ago, the Jewish leaders in Judea were trying to kill you. Are you really going to go there again? And Jesus replied, are there, 12 hours of, there are 12 hours of daylight in every day. As long as it's light, people can walk in safety. They can see because they have the light of this world. Only at night there's a danger of stumbling because there is no light. Then he said, our, father, our, father Lazarus has fallen, or our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciple says, Lord, if he's sleeping, that means he'll get better. They thought he meant that, Jesus was, or that Lazarus was having a good night's rest. Down to verse 14, Lazarus is dead, he told them plainly. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there because this will give you another opportunity to believe in me. Come, let's go see him. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. I love this story because it's just so, it's so weird. Jesus, a good friend, hears that he's sick. Jesus can heal. And even later, the people are going to say, man, Jesus, you healed so many people. Why, why weren't you interested in healing your friend? He's, he, he's, he's healed so many people. His good friend is sick. And they say, because he loved him. He stayed for two more days. And then on top of it, he gives this, this weird comment about the light and the day and the dark. And, and, then, and then they go into town, right into the middle of trouble. There's two tensions. If this, if this story were on TV, the way it would be is there'd be two storylines playing. You know how TV shows have a couple different storylines playing at the same time? So there's two different storylines and there's two different tensions. There's usually, there's a big plot and then there's a personal plot right? In, in a TV show. Usually there's kind of the main, the main theme of what's going on and there's a personal theme. And the main theme of what's going on is that everybody understands that Jesus is saying, I am God. I am the Messiah. And it's getting hotter and hotter. And Jesus, he, he'll go into Jerusalem and he'll almost get killed and he'll go out. And he'll go into Jerusalem and, and it's getting more and more intense all the time. And Jesus' death is coming. Because you can only, you can only go, and, and he even says, my hour isn't yet, but my hour is coming. And the tension is rising. If you and I are reading straight through John, the tension is getting hot. How many more times can he go and not get killed? And then on the side, here's Lazarus, and Lazarus is sick, and Lazarus is dying. And these two, these two stories, these two themes running together for this period of time. And Jesus says to his disciples, don't worry about going into Jerusalem. 
I'm the light of the world. If the light is here, we're not going to stumble. I'm not going to get killed too early, not going to get killed too late. Jesus says to his disciples, don't worry, I am the light of the world. If you were walking in darkness, you should worry. But I'm the light of the world. Walk in the light and you won't stumble. And he comforts them as they go. And Thomas, what is Thomas's name usually? What, what do we normally think of Thomas for something that happens a little bit later? Doubting Thomas. If you've been around church your life, you've always heard of Doubting Thomas. And I hate that name for Thomas because I love this guy. Thomas reads the story well. He knows what's going to happen. And he says, I'm in. Let's go die with Jesus. He understands that the road leads. Now, he probably doesn't understand the resurrection. He doesn't understand God using Christ's death and resurrection to pay for our sins. But he says, all right, guys, I'm in. Let's go. How many of you want to be surrounded by people like that who will walk with you even into, even into death? Man, I want people around me like that. I want friends like that. And Thomas is that guy. And the rest of them pony up and they go with him. They follow him as a leader. I love that about Thomas. So here's where we pick up the story. Jesus gets a message. How many ways do you message people? Do you, how many of you text message people? All right, I text message all the time. I like to text, text message. Um, how many of you use Facebook to send messages? All right. How many of you send emails? A few more. How many of you still send letters? Like where you, Now, kids, there's this thing called an envelope. <laughs> and uh, it's paper, and it's kind of folded uniquely, and it has this glue-like stuff on it. Sometimes you rip off a strip, and you actually... You actually put things in this paper bag of sorts, and you, you put things in there, and then you rip off the... Well, it, now, if you really find some old stuff, you actually have to lick it. You actually take your tongue, and you slide it along this strip that really tastes... Unless you get the minty ones, but the taste is no good. And so you have to... You lick it, but sometimes you pull this strip off, and you, you put things in it, and then you, you seal it down. And, and then you turn it over and you put an address on it and they have these things called stamps. And they used to cost a little bit and now they cost the, the amount of a, a, a car payment. And so you, you put a car payment on the outside of this paper thing and you, and you write an address on it. And you, How many of you still mail things that way? Okay, a couple of you. And, uh, and so this would have been a different kind of message. This would have been sending somebody probably your 10 to 15-year-old son would have gone on this message. Bethany was about a couple miles outside of Jerusalem. And Jesus, where was he? He was camping on the other side of the Jordan. He was, he was hiding. In fact, the, the amazing thing is Jesus went out to the other side of the Jordan and we find out by John that, that tons of people left Jerusalem to go out there. Because you've got to understand, the whole country was talking about Jesus. The whole country. And it wasn't just at festival times. And people went out. I mean, they, they just quit what they were doing. If they were woodworkers, they just left their wood and, and they went out. If they were blacksmiths, they, they just left their shop and they went out. If they were fishermen, they just hung up their nets and they went out. And it says that many, many people went from Israel out to the other side of the Jordan and they were listening to Jesus, spending time with Jesus. And they were believing and they were being baptized out there. And so there's this huge thing going on out in the desert. And, 
and everybody knows where Jesus is, but he's out of the reach of the jurisdiction of the temple. And um, in fact, I love, I think it's back in chapter seven. It doesn't really matter where it is, I guess. But a couple chapters before, the, the temple uh, officials, they send the guards out to capture Jesus. And they come back and they're empty handed. And they said, what happened? Where, where is he? And they said, have you ever heard this guy speak? No one has ever spoken like him. How could we arrest him? They believed too. People were believing. And, and Jesus is out in the desert. And they send the, the young boy probably from, from the family, Mary and Martha, and they send him out. And it probably, it probably took a day or two to get out there. Run in, walk in, run in, walk in. And, and the message gets out there. And so probably that messenger went out sent the message, Lazarus is sick, and then turned around and came back. So think if you're Mary and Martha, and you know that Jesus can heal, and Lazarus is really sick, and you send for him. You got to sit and wait for a day, and then you got to wait for a day or a day and a half to come back. So you're talking about two or three days of waiting. Like, it's not like the frustrated waiting when you send a text message. Do you ever get a text message and then a call 13 seconds later from the same person? You get a text message, and they're like, "Uh, did you get my message? Well, I haven't even read it yet, you know? And, well, why haven't you responded? So this is different. You're, you're, you're actually waiting for days to hear back whether or not everything went okay with you get, getting the message there. So it's a couple days before the message gets there. And Jesus, and it's just amazing. Jesus waits. But the first thing we see is that there's real stuff in life, isn't it? There's hurt. There's sickness. There's pain. You could be next to believe, but really you start with the fact that you could be next to go through difficult stuff in life. You know, somebody in your body went through difficult stuff this week. The Wood family uh, from the North Campus went through real difficult stuff this week. Mom died this week. Mom's only 43. And, and you just can't even imagine uh, we got bumped from behind the other day. And it doesn't take long to remember, man, life is short. It's quick. A little bump in a car is no big deal, but you think, man, that could have been bad. It could have been over. And you start to think about your kids and you start to think about, man, I'm, I'm only 36 years old. And you know what I mean? Like stuff happens in life. God didn't make it that way, you know. That's not what God created us for. If you go back to the way God made life, he didn't make life with death and dying and sickness and disease. He made it perfect. And it's only after sin, after we chose to rebel, after Adam and Eve, after they chose to rebel against God, that, that death came. Sickness and death didn't come before that. If you go back and read in Genesis 3, do you know what the very first thing that happens after God talks with Adam and Eve? about their sin, the very first thing that happens is death. God makes clothes for them out of animal skin. Where do you get animal skin from? From animals. And animals don't live after you take their skin. They don't. It's not the way God, it's not the way God made us. And out of sin comes death. It's never what God intended us for. But it's real. You could be the next to go through real stuff in life. 
And if you spend too long thinking about it, it's kind of scary. You're thinking probably this morning, man, thanks for, thanks for coming this morning. Really glad I came to church to hear that. You could be. You could be the next to go through difficult stuff. And all of us will go through it. We're going to find that Lazarus, what Jesus does in his life, Lazarus will have real stuff later in his life. Because we live in a fallen world. You know, in John 15, Jesus says, the world is going to hate you because they hated me first. He says, if you're following me, the world is going to hate you because they hate me. And if, if you live out your belief in me, the world won't like that because the world doesn't believe me and they don't know me. And so th- there's real stuff in life. And then in Jesus, in walking with Jesus, there's even, there's even real, more real stuff in life because when you shine light and it's darkness all around, sometimes the darkness hates that. And Jesus says, they hated me first and they hate the one that sent me. There's gonna be real stuff in your life and in my life. But that's the amazing part about this picture is that Jesus not only says there's real stuff in Mary and Martha and Lazarus's life, but get this, and this, this is amazing. Jesus allows the real stuff in life, the painful stuff in life, he allows it to continue to get even more painful because he loves them. Sure. Because he loves them. Here's what it says. Come down to verse 6, verse 5 and 6, John 11. Although Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he stayed there where he was for the next two days and did not go to them. Some other translations say, because, because he loved them, he stayed. How does that work? And Jesus, I have a hard time understanding that because because you were supposed to make everything good for me. You were supposed to take care of this stuff for me. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, they're tight with Jesus. And everybody around is saying, Jesus, if you can heal a blind man that doesn't even believe in you, doesn't even know you, that you never even met before, by all means, shouldn't you, shouldn't you take care of all the hard stuff for your mates? Shouldn't you take care of all the bad stuff, all the real stuff, all the painful stuff? Shouldn't you wipe that out for the people who are close to you? And Jesus, he hears about this. And because he loves them, he stays. If you go down even further, he says to his disciples, he says uh, in verse 15, he says, for your sake, after he tells them plainly that Lazarus is dead, for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there because now, you have another opportunity to believe. Jesus takes the real stuff of life and he creates opportunities. He doesn't create the real stuff in life. Jesus didn't create the death. Just like God didn't create death, we, in our rebellion against God, created death. But God takes these real opportunities, these real issues of life, and he makes opportunities for you and I to believe in him, to walk in him. It's amazing. 
And it's out of his love for us. Let's, let's watch it here. Let's, let's watch the plot as it un- envelops. Carrying on in verse 17, Jesus arrived in Bethany. He told it it's already been four days since Lazarus died. So count it out with me. Just, just thinking realistically, we're talking about a week, almost, probably, since they sent for Jesus and he shows up. And it's not like Jesus was hundreds of miles away. Jesus was like 20 miles away. And if you read down through the story, and, and I hope you do a little bit later, both Mary and Martha, when they come to him, they say, Jesus, where were you? I'm dying here. Where were you, Jesus? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there just to say, man, God, where, where are you? That's where these girls are at. They loved Jesus. They knew him. Jesus, where are you? If you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. Do you ever find that you, you ask that kind of stuff of God? I might be the only one here, but God, is, God has been so faithful to us. He has led us and guided us. He's always provided for us. And yet in that waiting, man, it is so easy to say, God, where are you? I texted you like 20 minutes ago. <laughs> Have you ever been there with God? And Jesus creates these opportunities for us to believe in him. In my world, in my world, the way I would architect it, I would want Jesus to text me back immediately and then I would believe in him. But if you're like Mary and Martha, they didn't send for Jesus a whole lot when Lazarus was strong. Do you know what I mean? They sent for Jesus when Lazarus got sick, when it got difficult. How many of you find that you ask God, uh, God, where are you when things are going great? Do you do that? When things are going great, man, paychecks are kind of stacking up. You haven't even cashed a paycheck in a long time because you just don't even need to. You know, they're just, and you're like, Jesus, where are you? Where are you? Things are going so well, man, I'm... I'm funding orphanages around the world. We got plenty of stuff here. God, you know, where are you? No, we don't ask God that. But if you make me squirm, if I don't know what that next step is, uh, Jesus, where are you? I know we haven't talked in a while, but where are you? I love that people ask that question while Jesus was still on earth. Isn't that funny? Jesus hadn't even died and gone back to the Father yet. He hadn't even raised from the dead and ascended into heaven yet. And already people are saying, Jesus, where are you? Already people were asking the question later in the chapter. Already people were saying, if he, if he healed you know, the blind man, why can't he heal his buddy? We ask that same question here. God, if you healed so-and-so down the street, why aren't you healing me? If you can heal one person in the church, why not heal everybody in the church? 
And Jesus creates these opportunities for you and I to believe. Remember Psalm 23? I don't know if you know Psalm 23 by heart. I love Psalm 23. But in the middle, even though there is the calm water and the green grass, sometimes there's dark valleys. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Is it because God wipes out the valley of the shadow of death? It's because he's going to walk with me. And that's what Jesus does right here. I love the way Jesus arrives. Mary and Martha both come out to him and say, Jesus, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. I know God will do whatever you say, but why, why didn't you say something? Why weren't you here? And Jesus arrives, and there's people all over, and they're grieving. People in in Africa, where Crystal and I just lived, grieve a little differently than we grieve here. It's kind of an all-weekend kind of event. People go in the evening, and they just sit and they cry with people through the night. They sing songs, depending on whether they're Christians or just kind of uh, animistic people. They sing different songs, but they sing songs, and they grieve, and they weep, and they go through heavy weeping, and then eating, and then weeping. You know, they just... It's an all-weekend event. And here you have the whole city of Jerusalem. Lots of people from Jerusalem have come out to this family a couple miles out of town to grieve with them. People come from all over. Where I lived in Swaziland, uh, there's a lot of funerals because of HIV, but there's, funerals are really a place where people meet each other. And, and I think you've probably had that experience too at Calling Hours, where you don't see some people for a long time and you're, and you're talking with somebody at a funeral and you say, hey, the last three times we've seen each other, you know, has been at a funeral or a wedding. Or, you know, there are these life events where, where people meet and mingle and, and you have this going on and Jesus walks into it and he says to them, where is he? And they're like, Jesus. You know, they take him there. Jesus, he's been dead for four days. It's going to stink. We live a really sanitized life that most of the world doesn't live even today. Even today, people don't live that way. We, we don't have to taste and smell. It's, it's difficult. And that's what they say here, Jesus. Like, he's dead. People understand life and death. And, and Jesus goes with them to the place that they buried him. And he talks with Martha first and then Mary on the way. And he arrives and the people are weeping and they're all around. And Jesus weeps. I love this about Jesus. I don't know if you like this or not about Jesus. But he deeply loves Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And even the words he uses, if you look down in verse 33, he's not afraid to walk into difficulty with them. And he says, he says, or the word says, excuse me, um, it says he's moved with indignation and he's deeply troubled. That indignation is he's angry. He's angry about something that's not right. He's angry about death that is not right and the hurt to his people and hurt people that he loves just like he loves you and me. And they're hurting. 
And it says that he's troubled. Do you know that in, in the word, the other places that it says that Jesus is troubled is when Judas is going to betray him at the table and he was troubled in the garden. He was deeply troubled. And remember, he sweat blood. And that's the level of troubled he is at walking through pain with his people, walking through the real stuff of life. You know Jesus isn't a knife salesman. He doesn't promise that everything is going to be great. You know, in the middle of the night when you see the, the Ginsu knives for sale and they're perfect and they clean themselves and he's not that guy because things are going to be hard and he's going to walk into it with you. And on top of that, he's going to walk through it with you so that you might believe. So that you might believe deeper, so that you might believe more. As I think about this story... And I think about what I learned from Mary and Martha, Lazarus, Jesus. I want to be like Mary and Martha who believe even before the difficult day comes. Remember Mary and Martha? They opened their home to Jesus all the time. There's like three or four different occasions where in the Gospels something significant happens during their visits with Jesus. They just invited him into their house. Are you believing in Jesus even before the difficult thing comes? Because that's what they did. They believed in him. These, these ladies right here, they give some of the clearest statements of understanding who Jesus is when the disciples are still clueless. They don't even understand who Jesus is. And they're like, Jesus, we've always believed in you as the Messiah because we sat at your feet. Don't you love that picture of Mary sitting at Jesus' feet? Mary and Martha, both woman, women sitting at Jesus' feet. Do you sit at Jesus' feet now getting ready for that day of trouble coming? Because you could be the next to believe in that difficult day. And then when the difficult day comes, when real stuff comes, if you are the one, real stuff comes to your life next. Do you send for Jesus first? I love that about Mary and Martha. Who do they send for? They send for Jesus. Who do you call out to? If you're like me, we're prone to comfort ourselves in all kinds of ways, aren't we? We send for all kinds of things to to numb it. For food, for TV, for holiday. Who do you send for when it gets thick, when difficulty comes? See, the story says, send for Jesus. He's the right one to send for because he's going to craft, because he loves you. He's going to craft it perfectly for you. Do you send for Jesus? I would encourage you to commit now to believe no matter what comes because guaranteed, Lazarus died again. Mary and Martha, they died. The disciples who were with Jesus, they all died horrendous deaths. Jesus, he wasn't selling something at 2 a.m. on TV promising you that it's all going to be perfect forever. He said the exact opposite. It's going to be thick. And I'm going to go through it with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The band is going to come on up. I want to tell you about my friend Diane. Uh, my friend Diane is, uh, is almost like a grandma uh, kind of figure in the church that I grew up at. 
and, and her and her husband, pretty much every week that I remember, were always in church and, and spent a lifetime together raising kids and going through the motions of going to church and being Christians. And in their mid-60s, her husband had a heart attack and lived through it, and thank God, and decided that life was too young to keep things the way it was, and he walked away from his wife and started having an affair and lived with a woman 15 years younger than him, five years ago. And a couple months ago, I was with Diane, and and she said, Laddie, because that's how I grew up. I grew up as Laddie, and she said, Laddie, she said, the last five years have been the worst years of my life. And I wouldn't trade them for a thing. She said, I used to know about Jesus. I used to know about God. And she said, but I never, I never knew him. She said, now I wake up with Jesus. I go to bed with Jesus. He's my husband. He's my God. She said, I would never trade that for anything. She said, they've been terrible, and I would walk back into them gladly. Jesus will create for you and I these, these opportunities to believe more, more than you ever even knew existed. Like at the eye, you thought you understood, and then all of a sudden you've got, you got the optic canal you didn't even hear about. Jesus has all kinds of belief for you and I that we don't even know about yet all kinds of sweetness with him that we can't even dream of and it's waiting but will we send for him will we commit now to believe in him let me pray for you Lord Jesus as we walk together thank you for this story thank you that Mary and Martha had more to believe thank you that you raised Lazarus from the dead and you show that you can conquer death and you, you conquered death for me, for my sin. Thank you. We give you praise. We want to believe in you. You're a great God. God, thanks that you didn't lie to us. Thanks that you didn't say that everything will be neat and tidy. Thanks that you told us that life is going to hurt and you're going to walk through it with us so that we can believe in you. Lord Jesus, we love you this morning. We want to give you our praise. In your strong name we pray.